Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 6th of June, 2023, the uh, anniversary of D-Day. I almost said a date which will live in infamy, but no, it's the anniversary of D-Day and sadly we're losing so many veterans who uh, every year, <clears throat> I don't even know how many, there, there can't be very many left from World War II if you just think about it rationally and logically and do it from a a math perspective you're looking at 1944 and right now is 2023 so you take that and you go 1944 you'd have to be 79 years old when you were on the day of d-day and there probably weren't many newborns storming the beaches at normandy that day there probably were a few we're not, people, you know, we're not allowed to judge anymore. So retroactively, what have you. But uh, probably not that many. You can probably count on one hand, however many there were. The rest of them were 18 and older. There were some six. It's, it's one of those things. Back in the day, you hear these stories all the time. We talk about World War II. You don't hear about it. You hear about it World War One as well. But you don't hear about it when it comes to... Uh, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, anything really since World War II. That's it's a it's a measure of the stakes that you have people who faked being old enough, faked their age. Also, the modern age makes it a little more difficult to do that, but they faked their age in order to go and participate in the. Uh, the war, 15-year-olds pretending to be whatever. And you go, oh, my God, how do you do that? It was an American tradition at one point. I remember we went to, uh, uh, my in-laws were just up here a couple weeks ago for Quinn's birthday, I guess about a month ago. And we went to and uh, we went to Antietam. And there's a big memorial there. No, no, we went to Gettysburg, Sorry. We went to Gettysburg, and there's a big memorial there to the people from Pennsylvania who fought in Gettysburg. And it's the biggest one. There, there are memorials and statues all over Gettysburg. And this is the biggest one. And so we're looking around. There's just lists of names and names. And weirdly, there were some names that were scratched off. Um, I don't know if they were put up there in error or what, but um, they're scratched off and gone. And as we're looking... At the names, you see, oh, there's somebody named Hunter. There's somebody named this, that, and the other. And we find uh, a couple people with the last name of Bailey. Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. There were quite a few Baileys, relatively speaking, to how uncommon the name Bailey is. Last names. And uh, Quinn was getting upset. She's like, well, is there anybody named Quinn? Where is there anybody Quinn? I couldn't check all the names. Didn't find anybody with Quinn. But I did search online. I found this woman named Frances Elizabeth Quinn, just to show that this is not just a, a phenomenon for men. 
Frances Elizabeth Quinn was an Irish-born Union Civil War soldier who bought, fought in both the uh, the infantry and cavalry. She enlisted over five separate times throughout the war and the country. Each time she was eventually discovered to be a woman and discharged from the military. <laughs> it's a fascinating story. I'm surprised they haven't made a movie out of it yet. She later ended up dying about 10 years later, very exceedingly young. But she was exceedingly young at the time. And she wanted to fight for the Union. So good on her. And there you go. I, mean, I guess there's a writer's strike. Hollywood can't write anything right now. But um, it's an interesting, fascinating story about which very little is known. But from a conceptual standpoint, it goes to show you that at least until the left really started to instill hatred and contempt for this country in the people of this country. There were people in this country who absolutely loved this country and were willing to fight and die for it even before they were old enough to or if they were the wrong gender to do so. It is uh, sad that... Look, I don't want anybody to die for the country, but... And what was that great line in Patton? Nobody ever won a war by dying for their country. They won it by making the other poor son of a bitch die for theirs. Uh, obviously, that is where my loyalties lie. But it is interesting to point out that we seem to have lost that in many ways. Now, ROTC, the military recruiters, whatever, are not welcome on college campuses. They're banned from certain college campuses or they face protests to the point that it's not worth going into uh, those college campuses, and now that's being spread to high schools. So it's important to remember the greatest generation, and every generation, really, that served this country, and all the people that served this country. So, yes, on this, the anniversary of the D-Day invasion, D-Day plus 79 years, it's worth noting, particularly if you happen to know somebody, have somebody in your life who is... Forget D-Day, a World War II veteran. It's going to be, there are, look, I, I, I don't know any World War II veterans anymore, but there are some people who, uh, they don't want to tell their story. And you got to respect that. And it's, it's their life, what they saw, what they witnessed, what they went through, what they had to do, what was done to them, what happened to their friends, whatever it is that is that haunted them or still haunts them to this day, you've got to respect that. But if you do know one who will talk, even if it's not about combat experience, if it's about basic training, if it's about preparation, whatever it is, have a conversation with them. Do yourself a favor. You will be better off for it. Do yourself a favor and have a conversation for it. And your phone, every phone somewhere in there, has, unless you got an old-fashioned flip phone, every phone has a record feature. Ask them if you mind recording it. It doesn't have to be serious. It can be, you know, the pranks they played during basic training or how they pass time, whatever it is. Do yourself a favor. Listen to those stories. Ask those questions. It's one of those things all the time I get. Um, people like the way I interview people. I don't know. You know I, I, I do know why. 
So many people who interview people don't actually give a damn what the person they're interviewing says about anything. They've got their list of questions and they go straight through it one after the other. It's very incredibly boring and actually rude and it shows that you're not particularly engaged with the person. Or they make it about themselves and have a preamble to a question that is longer than war and peace. And it's like, okay, well, when I'm on your show, you can talk for most of the time, but the interviewee should do most of the talking. Help them, nudge them, direct them a little bit through your questions, but you don't, you don't, uh, you don't outshine them. You don't try to outshine them. It's not a pissing contest, but do yourself a favor. Talk to these people. Actually, listen to these people. Ask the question. If you, if you want to know about it, no one is unique. Somebody else will want to know about it. We'll all want to know about it. Record that. Get those messages. Get those stories recorded. Nothing may ne- may ever come of it. You may never listen to it again. Send it to me. Maybe I'll put it on a show. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not, if it's interesting enough, not that I'm going to be judgy about it, but it is something that we all collectively are poorer for losing. One of the best parts of Band of Brothers, which is one of my favorite things, I rewatch it every year, is the uh, <clears throat> the testimonials of the guys at the end and at the beginning. It's not super long, and they did some specials with some more of it, but hearing the actual people, seeing the actual people who did these things, and hearing, you know, this part was, this is what happened, this is how it happened. You're like, oh my God, this, this was very accurate. These people are real. That is wildly important. And so do yourself that favor. Get your kids to listen to it or get your kids in the room to hear the story if you don't want to tape it. And do that. Because had you ever heard of, you know, you hear stories of people who lied about their age to go off and fight war. Have you ever heard of Francis Elizabeth Quinn? No, you haven't. Who knows what other stories are out there that we will never have heard of if you don't ask. So be your own history teacher. All right, welcome to the program. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Check out patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Support the program, get extra content, all sorts of bonus stuff. I want to start off well, there really is a lot to go into, but I want to, this is one of those things where you almost think it's a parody. Back when The Onion was a comedy website, now it's more of an angry leftist website. I don't, I don't get what's, what happened there. Um, the right has the ability to laugh at ourselves, but you also have to be willing to laugh at yourself, Right. You could make fun of the right. I couldn't care less. But if when somebody does a similar thing to the left, you immediately clutch your pearls to the point your hand fuses to them, I find that problematic. (laughs) I really do. Like, okay, well, then you're not actually in it for the comedy. You're a nasty person. You have emotional problems. Whatever it is, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Well, that is how the left operates on so many different ways. And they operate in a coercive, evil, 
evil. Evil is a good word. A coercive evil way. And it is a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of way. So we got this story from the UK Telegraph. Irish farmers revolt over plan, to, uh, over plan for cattle cull to meet green target. What in the hell does that mean? Yeah. Irish farmers are rebelling against a proposal to cut tens of thousands of cattle a year to help Ireland meet its climate change targets. The Irish government wants to reduce emissions from farming by a quarter by 20, uh, 2030. Media reports last week suggested that one option being considered was to reduce the national dairy herd by 10%, meaning a cull of 65,000 cows a year for three years at a cost of 200 million pounds. Or euros, I guess, euros. 170 million pounds annually. One Irish politician described the plans as, quote, absolute madness, and others were warning that some farmers will refuse and others will leave the sector if an order is introduced. Now, this is an incredibly disgusting thing. They're not talking about, you know, shipping these cows. Let's get them off. Let's just kill them. They're dairy cows, right? Let's just kill them. Because why? Because cow farts. Cow farts. They're very concerned about car. It's a greenhouse gas, you see, and cow farts. Now, I'm old enough to remember a lot of these hoaxes that we've been through. The climate change hoax, you think, well, this one's been with us for an exceedingly long time. It's really not. It is the current evolutionary state of something that has been put forth by the political class to gain control of the power to tax and regulate for an exceedingly long time. It was global cooling, then it was global warming, it was acid rain was going to kill us all and kill all vegetation on the planet, the hole in the ozone layer was going. They have tried everything they possibly can to keep people afraid to keep people afraid. And each and every time they came up, when they didn't come up with, each and every time they shifted from one scare tactic to another, they brought with it the same, you cannot question this. It is settled science. It is over. You will not find pieces written from the late 80s and early 90s talking about the coming acid rain that was going to destroy all of the vegetation around the country, around the world, because of us polluting, us driving cars, etc., etc. You will not find those stories couched in with the coulds and mites and could lead. It was going to happen. We had to take action. The ozone layer was going to kill us. The story was the ozone layer was gigantic over Antarctica. It was letting in poison rays from the sun and the more that we used hairspray and cfc's uh, chloral floral carbons or whatever i can't remember what cfc stands for if we use those in our air conditioning we're going to make that hole bigger that hole bi- and once the ozone layer is gone we were told we were assured it is gone it is done it is over 
And without the ozone layer, life on Earth will not be able to exist. Well, what happened? Weirdly, the science community can't explain what happened. The ozone layer, the ozone, the hole in the ozone, I should say, closed back up. It closed back up. What? How did that happen? What in the hell? They don't know. Nobody's asking. Nobody talks about it anymore. Why don't they talk? You would think a phenomenon that they don't understand that is related to the health and safety of every human being in the, on the planet would be something of discussion. Hey, if the ozone layer, if the holy ozone could open up and expand pretty big, Antarctica is pretty big, and then uh, contract back down, we should probably try to figure out why and how that happened in a real serious way, not just in a wild speculative or dismissive kind of way. Because why? Because it could expand, it could get bigger. Who knows? How did it come back? We were told that was impossible. And these very same people who were wrong, thankfully, but wrong nonetheless about that, are the very same people who are telling us now, or at least hold the same positions that the people who told us then are telling us now. You cannot, cannot question what's going on now. The science is settled. Well, the very nature of science means it can't be settled, that it isn't settled. It shouldn't be settled. Everything should be questioned. Why? Because even though something proves out at the moment, it doesn't mean it will necessarily prove out in the future as more information is. Yeah, this is what makes Chuck Todd's departure from Meet the Press such a good thing. Although his stink and his editorial decisions will probably taint the brand until it's eventually canceled. And that's because he refused to have anybody on who disagreed with the left-wing orthodoxy when it came to climate change to talk about that issue, which meant it's not that Chuck Todd is going, I'm going to deny my small audience the opportunity to hear something different. It was the concept that he had brought into NBC News. The news part being operative. It's like there is only one side. There is only this truth. Anything and everything else must be silenced. Well, that's a problem for anybody who's intellectually honest, isn't it? I'm perfectly happy to have conversations with people who are wildly wrong, if only to use them as a foil to illustrate the points of my rightness, of my correctness right? <laughs> give me a flat earther on the show. I'll have a discussion with a flat earther. It'll be fun. You give people enough rope to hang themselves. You let people go. Look, you're never going to convince the flat earther, but it's not about no interview is ever, well, no debate is ever about the other person. Interviews are about the other person, but no debate is ever about the other person. It's about the audience. And the audience would, uh, hilarity would ensue as well as education. But the left doesn't debate anymore. They don't even discuss anymore. They aren't even open to the prospect of it anymore. Have you noticed how this works? They just make declarative statements and pretend everybody knows and everybody agrees. And then there's the big lie. If you don't agree, it's the big lie, the big lie, the big lie. They use that word constantly. Yet they are people 
who are following an orthodoxy that has been proven routinely wrong, regularly wrong, and still espouse it. If you know something is untrue and you still espouse it, are you not telling a lie? I believe that is the very definition, knowingly saying something you know to be untrue. That's a lie. The size and scope of it, well, they're trying to use their various lies to strip everybody else of their rights, fundamental rights, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the right to protect themselves. If those aren't pretty big in scope, then I don't know what is. Right now, it's 65,000 cows until they reach 200,000 cows, killed for no good reason other than to make some arbitrary date, arbitrary goal, some arbitrary deadline. I have not seen, and maybe it's true, I don't know, but just like we were told that the CFCs were destroying the ozone layer, and then it turns out that they weren't, they had nothing to do with it, we'd already switched away from CFCs, now they're gone, I think they're still gone, I think we use whatever it is, some new refrigerant, it's weird how industry came up with something else they could sell us, I'd have been around, I don't know how long the old refrigerant had been around, but I somehow get the feeling that it was going to come up to a point relatively soon where any copyrights or patents were going to fall by the wayside, I don't know, I could be wrong, maybe it's just my conspiracy theory side. But it is uh, one of those things where industries come up with new uses for their products. Oh, the pharmaceutical company, their patent is running out. Oh, wait, now we've found a secondary use for this drug, and we're reapplying the patent, so you can't make it. Oh, okay, well, there you go. You can't get another seven years out of milking the system. And this is somebody who's very favorable to the pharmaceutical industry, but I just don't like frauds. That's the difference. The Irish government, back to this story, says that no final policy decision has been taken and that any cull would be voluntary as part of a retirement exit scheme for farmers. Isn't that lovely? Today, cows, tomorrow, the world, the day after tomorrow, people. But some farmers fear it will not be possible to meet the targets with only a voluntary cull. Tim Cullingham, president of the Irish Farmers Association, warned that beef and dairy production would simply shift to other countries if a limit was introduced in Ireland, undermining the attempt, uh, the attempted emissions savings. Welcome to the party, pal. That's the entirety of the left-wing argument for CO2 caps and cap and trade and cap and tax and everything. Like, oh, you can't do that. We must live. No more power plants for you, first world nation. No more electricity generating for you, economic engine of the world. But you know what? India, you can go to town. China, you can go to town. Why Why is China exempted? Well, because technically they're a third world country. They're a third world country only in that they have that many people and you divide the size of their economy by that many people. The size of their economy is massive. They are in no way a third world country and certainly their leadership does not live 
as though it is a third world country. And in many places, the non-urban areas and non-areas where people are enslaved and uh, have displeased the government where their social credit score has slipped below acceptable levels, they are living pretty technologically advanced lives. They get an exemption because they're communists. And the people leading the tip of the green spear are actually red under the surface. And so they look out for their own. They target Western democracies, capitalist systems to varying degrees. Certainly socialism in Europe reigns supreme, but compared to Chinese communism, European socialism is almost quaint, really. So it is really a huge, huge problem well, a, a huge, huge solution in search of a problem. They want power. That's their solution to everything. So if you can get people to kill their herds, all the better. You can then limit the income that they make in the name of justice. They're not going to prevent other people in other countries, in third world countries, and third world, world hellholes. Frankly, they're not going to try, let me put it to you this way, try to impose a cow-culling policy in India. And let me know how that works out for you, okay? Quote, reports like this one only serve to further fuel the view that the government is working behind the scenes to undermine our dairy and livestock sectors, he said. While there may well be some farmers who wish to exit the sector, we shall be focusing on providing a pathway to the next generation to get into farming. End quote. It's wildly amazing to me that so many of the so-called solutions to the uh, climate change myth involve eliminating food production. Eliminating food production. Now, right now, we have an abundance of food. We have plenty of food. Here in the United States, we have so much food we're putting it in. You can't walk down a, a soap or shampoo aisle without saying, like, my God, we're putting food in soap. We're putting food in our cleaning product. We have a lot of food in this country. But there are a lot of people on this planet. There are a lot of people on this planet who don't have access to the food that we do. Now, if you start limiting... Now, a lot of people on this planet are dependent on the food we produce and are doing quite fine because of it. Thank you very much. But if we start limiting and eliminating some of our food production. And much of Eastern Europe or Western Europe does the same. How do you think that's going to work out? You really want to depend on the third world for necessities, for life necessities, for very important things? I mean, hell, we've just, I don't know how many trillions of dollars we've sent over to Ukraine right now. Why? In part, at least, because, as we're told by this administration, they are the breadbasket of the world. They are the breadbasket of the world. We, can't, we need the grain from Ukraine to stave off starvation. And had the starvation, by the way, but I don't want the starvation. I'm just pointing it out apropos of the discussion. But... We were told it was so damned important that we have to fund whatever it is Ukraine wants to do for however long Ukraine wants to do it because they produce so much grain. 
Now, in the year and a half since the Ukraine war has started, have you heard any plans to, I don't know, diversify grain production away from so much of it being done in Ukraine? I haven't. I haven't. Just like, <coughs> excuse me, just like with the COVID, remember COVID? Remember COVID? At the beginning of COVID, what did we hear incessantly about from both sides of the aisle? Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Oh, there were promises made. We were going to bring in the, re, re-import the supply chain. Why? Because we can't produce antibiotics. We can't produce pharmaceuticals domestically. We were in a world of hurt. We were in a serious world of hurt. If China decided X, Y, and Z and cut us off from the production, of, we need to bring the production of our medicines back home. That was, that was the story. That was the mantra from everybody in Washington. Have they done it? Have they done it? Right now, we are still living in fear of a, uh, an invasion of Taiwan by China. Honestly, not because, oh my goodness, the fight for democracy. That's what it's all couched in, just like just like the argument about Ukraine. It's not really about Ukraine. The people arguing the strongest about Ukraine, the, pe- the politicians with the Ukrainian flags on their lapels, they don't actually give a damn about Ukraine. The uh, people very concerned about Taiwan, they don't really give a damn about Taiwan. There might be a couple of politicians who are sincere, but not very many. If Taiwan goes down a huge percentage of the computer chip industry falls in the hands of communist China, what efforts are we making to remove that part of the threat? You can still make the argument, oh, Taiwan should be free and Taiwan this, that. Absolutely make that. Taiwan should be free. But from an economic standpoint and the interests of the United States of America, if China were to take Taiwan, and I'm not saying that I want this to happen by any stretch of the imagination, we're just having a little exercise here. If China were to take Taiwan and Taiwan were not making uh, what are they, the, uh, the computer chips that they do, how would your life be impacted? How would your life be impacted? Honestly, if you could still buy everything you wanted, you could still buy cars, you could eat all the little motherboards. If we were making those here or making them elsewhere, how would your life change? The fact is your life wouldn't change. I know that's callous and mean to say, but it's we're just having a discussion here. And it's true. It's 100% True. If you loved Labatt Blue, that was your favorite beer, or Molson, I'll use my favorite beer, Molson Canadian. If you loved Molson Canadian and suddenly Russia invaded Canada and all exports from Canada stopped, you would, you would miss your Molson Canadian. But if it were brewed domestically, your life more than likely, unless you live close to the border, probably wouldn't be impacted all that much. Not calling for a Russian invasion of Canada. I'm just making a point. 
Should we not be making moves now to lessen the blow of any potential Chinese move toward Taiwan on our economy and the world economy? And by doing so, might I posit that in doing so, in taking the production of these crucial elements, at least in part, in large part, elsewhere, doesn't that possibly make Taiwan slightly less appealing? Part of the appeal of China for wanting Taiwan is, of course, historical and national pride and all of that. It is. We're one country. That's our island, blah, blah, blah. But another part of it is in seizing Taiwan, they would be performing the equivalent of a hernia exam on the global economy. They'd grab them by the balls, in other words. And at least for a while, until the world adapted, because they hadn't adapted prior to it, that would give China an enormous amount of power. And frankly, China is in a world of hurt economically going forward. Their policy of one child and forced abortions and the sex-selective abortions, the abandonment, the, uh, the desire to have boys rather than girls, has led to a demographic crush that is, I don't know that it's going to collapse the economy, but it's certainly not going to be good for the economy of China. They need things in the future. They will need them more. Smart political class, which sadly we don't have, would be positioning the United States in such a way now so that 10 or 20 years down the road, we don't need those things that China needs by putting more of an economic pressure on China. And then maybe China reforms itself. Maybe China lashes out. I don't know. But somebody has to deal with China and do so preemptively. Instead, we've got a uh, Mr. Magoo sort of embarrassing foreign policy towards our number one political threat, geopolitical threat in the world. Oh, what about Russia? Russia is nothing compared to China. The sooner we start to look at that, the better. But instead of dealing with things as they are and dealing with the reality as it is, we've got leftists proposing slaughtering a whole bunch of cows. Now, it's just in Ireland today, but stupidity spreads like a cold on a plane. That's the way it works. It will be here sooner or later. Sooner probably rather than later. So be ready for it. I'm not telling you to be a prepper or what have you or anything of the nature, but I am telling you to be ready for it. Because the left, if they have their way, will do anything and everything to destroy this country and destroy this economy. If that means partnering up with the uh, enemies of this country, I mean, hell, why wouldn't you? You hate this country. The enemies hate this country. It's a natural fit for them. Anyway, just a, a nice little cheery way to start the show, I think. Um, by the way, on the uh, the trans front, 
it may seem like everywhere you go, there's pushback, there's pushback. And you watch the leftist media in this country and they immediately adopt the gender, pro- even Fox, like these are the gender pronouns. We're going to use the gender pronouns. We're going to respect this, that, and the other thing and they call it gender affirming care and all that crap. Well, less reported, actually not reported at all in this country. You have to go overseas most of the time to get these things. Other countries in Europe are moving toward what? Towards sanity, towards rational thought. While the libs of TikTok are tweeting out the uh, and end wokeness and clown world are tweeting out videos of elementary schools welcoming kids to their pride parade, pride day, blah, 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 blah. And you just go, are you kidding me? What in the hell is going on in this world? It's mostly just the left in the United States right now. Things are switching to semi-normal on the trans issue. People are pumping the brakes over in Europe. And thank God for that. Here's an example. This is from SOT, S-O-T-T dot net. I believe it's it's originally from the Washington Examiner. It's by Dr. Deborah So. I interviewed her a long time ago for her book. She's a very smart woman. Common sense and science are gradually prevailing, she writes. Last week, the Norwegian Healthcare Investigation Board announced it would be revising its current guidelines regarding so-called gender-affirming care for minors because it no longer considers them to be evidence-based. The board also acknowledged that the growing number of teenage girls identifying as male post-puberty remains unstudied. Oh my God, are you telling me that people are saying we don't have any evidence to support wild, radical, leftists, activist claims. And so we are going to pump the brakes on butchering of bodies of children. Thank God for that. It's not here in the United States. You would think we would be the tip of the spear on this one, but we are not. You are an intolerant monster if you say, hey, wait a second, maybe we shouldn't be cutting up a 12-year-old. It's a good, good way to gauge that matter of fact look at yourself when you were 12 years old what did you want to be when you grew up and how long did that last what did you think or believe in when you were 12 years old and how did that did that how did that work out for you if you could have gotten a tattoo at 12 years old and a lot of you if you're just being honest with yourselves we're all friends here. You don't have to tell me. But if you're covered in tattoos or you have a couple of tattoos you got when you were, I don't know, 18, 20, 18 to 25, somewhere in there, how many of those do you look at and you go, Ugh, I really probably shouldn't have done that? Would you do it now? If you had it to do over again, if you could go back, would you stop yourself from doing that? Now imagine you're 12. What would you have had tattooed on your body? A Power Ranger? a G.I. Joe, a He-Man or something? Somebody from the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Which seems like a really cool, good idea when you're 12 years old, but then suddenly you're not 12 years old. Suddenly the letter, the numbers reverse, and then you add 10, and you're going, oh my God, what did I do? Why do I have stars tattooed on my cheek? That was really stupid. I wish I shouldn't have done that. I have resigned myself forever to be a part of the food service 
or independent record store industries with this neck tattoo. I probably shouldn't have done this. Now imagine you can get the laser burned off. You can put makeup on it. You can do whatever. You can wear long sleeve shirts, what have you. But removing parts of your body, you can't put them back on. There's a picture, I forget who it was. Somebody tweeted yesterday the uh, a picture of a trans man, pregnant trans man. The media loves those. Two. Oh, my God, this man is going to have a baby. That woman, because that's who has babies, that woman will never be able to breastfeed their child. Never, under any circumstances, be able to breastfeed their child. Why? Because that... That woman had her breast removed under the delusion of being a man. Yeah, that's right. And it's weird because they always, this is one of those things. They have to stop taking the hormones when they're pregnant, right? These trans men, these trans men who are men. They have to, so they, they all grow the beard to show how I'm totally a man. I'm totally a man. Forget my vagina. I'm totally a man. And we're going to have a baby. And so I've got to go off the hormones for a little bit. Like, why Why do you have to go off the hormones? Why do you need hormones? Shouldn't your body know immediately? Like, oh, you've declared yourself to be a man. Therefore, you're a man. So I'll just produce testosterone, right? I mean, that's, isn't that the way it works? No, suddenly they become very interested, keenly interested in certain aspects of science. And they go, well, now I have to stop taking the testosterone because we're going to have a baby. Why? Why? Men have testosterone. When my wife was pregnant, I still had testosterone flowing through my body, believe it or not. So why do you have to... And, uh, anyway, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but it's just one of those damn things where you're sitting there going, huh, that's weird. This is a crucial part of who you are as a human being. And then they go, oh, I got to go off this medicine. Oh no, my facial hair is falling out. Yeah, because it's not supposed to be there, right? It's not supposed to be there. You can graft a third arm onto your forehead, but after a couple of days, it'll probably fall off. Why? Because it doesn't belong there. That's not where it goes. Sorry to burst your bubble. Anyway, Deborah So continues, quote, under the proposed upgraded guidelines, the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and transition-related surgeries would be restricted to research contexts and no longer provided in clinical settings. Norway joins Finland, Sweden, and the United Kingdom, the UK, in introducing greater safeguards for children. In the United States, eight states thus far have banned affirmative care for individuals under 18, with Tennessee being the latest to pass such a legislation. Now we have leftists in, I think it was Oregon, a couple, three weeks ago, where they decided that they would be a sanctuary state for any kid in the country. They could run there and get surgery because they're very progressive. They could run there and get surgery without parental permission. Without parental permission. You can't buy a pack of cigarettes. They want to raise that age to 21. They want to make sure that they basically want to eliminate tobacco, what have you. They should probably stop subsidizing it, just say in federal government. But they are very, very keen on age restrictions, on 
all sorts of things, including they're arguing this week we need to ban TikTok and restrict access to TikTok. Think what you will of TikTok, speaking of communist China. But, you know, TikTok versus genital mutilation. Which, where do you fall on that? I, I, I fall on the side of TikTok on that one. Kids can have TikTok more... I would support kids having TikTok more than I would support kids having their genitals mutilated. But it's weird that the left constantly cites, particularly the UK, and their healthcare systems, yet they are the ones pumping the brakes. They are the ones saying, we can't do this. We can't keep doing this. We have to stop. We should at least study this before we go full bore down. In the United States, you're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to say, wait a second. Three weeks ago, you wanted to be a princess. Now you say you're a boy and your teacher is hiding things from me and trying to slip you hormones. And I'm supposed to be cool with that. Hell, absolutely, positively to the no under any damn circumstances. These people are dangerous. These people are out of control. These people truly are fascists. Speaking of fascists, James Comey is back. Why is James Comey back? Who the hell knows? They're getting the band back together. You know, Ginger Goebbels, good old Jen Psaki over there at MSNBC, Biden's former mouthpiece. God, it, it would, if there were any standards left in journalism, this would be an embarrassing interview that Ginger Goebbels conducted with James Comey. But there are no standards anymore. Not a single serious question was asked. No issue was pressed. Nothing. You got the whole Durham report that talks about all of the um, abuses in the FBI and the intelligence community regarding the Trump investigation. Straight up abuses that are unambiguous. There's no disputing them. And Ginger Goebbels couldn't care less about that. She really couldn't. It was a... It was a it, it, I'm embarrassed for her. If this were a porn set, Ginger would be the fluffer over there. But in the course of their discussion, James Comey fretted. Poor James Comey. He's fretting. Donald Trump has to be defeated because, and by extension, like, look, if, if Donald Trump doesn't win the nomination and... Uh, Ron DeSantis or anybody else in the field wins the nomination. All of these same people will be saying the exact same thing about whoever the GOP nominee is. They're going to pretend they're not going to. They're going to go like, oh, no, no, this is Donald Trump is a unique threat. But you can see it already. It's ultimately Republican, the Lincoln Project. They're not about to go, oh, all right, now we can go back to what we claimed we'd always loved, our conservative principles, if Donald Trump isn't the nominee. That's not how they work. They've already started attacking DeSantis, and more importantly, and why it happened, they're fundraising. Uh, we'll continue to attack DeSantis. We will con the message being to their liberal masters, that these child molester enablers, I guess child sexual predators, I don't know that he ever actually molested any of the children, but these child sexual predator enablers will continue to do the bidding of their left-wing masters no matter what it is, which means that any and everything that they ever espoused that was remotely conservative in the past was, was just for show or 
had a price tag on it. I will stop caring about this if the check has this many zeros on it. Anyway, neither here nor there. Listen to this exchange because in it you'll hear James Comey fret that if Donald Trump wins, he could do to them what they did to him. You've said that Trump poses a near existential threat to the rule of law. And and this is something similar language that I hear privately from national security officials, some people you and I both know who will say this privately about what a second term could mean. But tell me a little bit about the specifics of what he could try to do. What do you mean by that? Well, think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like. He could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. He could also direct all kinds of other conduct that people would maybe take to court to try to stop. But who enforces court orders? Mm -hmm. Mostly the United States Marshals Service, which is in part of the executive branch and reports to the president. And so President Trump could say, I don't care what the Supreme Court says or these district judges say. I'm telling the Marshals Service, don't enforce the court order. And so our Constitution really does give a rogue president, which is what this would be, tremendous power to destroy. And so that's why I'm trying to warn people Given the way he said he intends to operate if he's reelected, this will be something we could never have imagined. Again, it seems like science fiction in a way, but it's what another four years of Donald Trump really promises, which is why people criticize CNN for their town hall. I want the American people to stare at the threat that we're facing and understand that they cannot take the next election off. They cannot take the next. I want them to stare at that. I'm glad that CNN, oh, thank you, Jim, for giving CNN permission to air a town hall with a Republican presidential candidate. Thank you, Mr. Director. The arrogance and the condescension dripping from what Comey's talking about there is almost Olympic in its proportion. It's metal-worthy. To be honest with you, he and his cohorts launched a fake dossier attack against Donald Trump. They coordinated it before he even took office. James Comey briefed Donald Trump on the Steele dossier while he was still president-elect Donald Trump. He then left and told CNN that he'd done it thereby making the story of the dossier finally newsworthy. To that point, the media had the dossier. They couldn't report, they couldn't, they couldn't confirm anything in it, which should have been telling. We can't confirm anything in it, but they didn't care. They uh, wanted to report on it anyway, but they didn't because there was no news hook. Look, we can't, we can't report on this, we can't confirm it. But the second that James Comey briefed President-elect Donald Trump on this, then suddenly it's newsworthy. James Comey knew that this was the case. 
Clapper knew that this was the case. All of these people knew that this was the case. So you pick up the phone, you call Jake Tapper, the deed is done. Jake Tapper then suddenly starts talking about the Steele dossier. He says, we can't confirm this, but it must be, there must be something to it because the director of the FBI has briefed the incoming president of the United States on it. He wouldn't not he wouldn't brief the incoming president of the united states on something that had zero substance to it right now what's amazing is by comey's own admission the part that he briefed trump on was the p part that this germaphobe had hired prostitutes in moscow to urinate all over a bed because barack and michelle obama had slept in it it's it's so stupid as to, I don't know, my children could come up with something more believable, but that was the best they could get. And that was enough. It didn't have to be true. It just had to be said. And it had to be said in a way that they could report because they wanted to start undermining the Trump presidency before it took place. And soon after that, it became, well, does Vladimir Putin have blackmail material on him? And suddenly, oh my God, did Vladimir Putin help elect Donald Trump? Did Vladimir Putin do these? Are they working together? What is going on here? And the next thing you know, they're off to the races. And now these amoral monsters are back to lecture the country about who can and can't be president of the United States and what will happen. They're afraid, they're afraid that they could get caught because if they were willing to do this stuff, this much stuff that we know about, they did it out in the open. They can no longer really hide it anymore on this issue. What else were they willing to do? Not just against Trump, but against Republicans, against conservatives, against anybody. The Durham report was damaging and damning on the issue of the Trump investigations. There are a lot of people in Trump world who have been the subject of various investigations on different topics that are unrelated to Russia. And even before that, there are people in the conservative world who are part of investigations. Were those invest- did those investigations bear fruit and send somebody to jail? Maybe, maybe not. But they're worth looking at. If they're willing to go to these lengths to try and damage the president of the United States simply because he's a Republican, um, how far would they be willing to go against any other run-of-the-mill Republican or somebody who funds conservatism? I'm not... Not thinking of anybody in specific, but it's it's certainly worthy of investigation. Once you peel back that curtain, what will you find? I think that's what James Comey is living in absolute fear of because the statute of limitations on all of those things probably hasn't run. He'll be protected forever on what he did for Trump. But if he did something to somebody else, or, God forbid for him, if he did something that the left finds favorable now or was involved or had a whiff of involvement, then all hell would break loose. All absolute hell would break loose, wouldn't it? And he wouldn't be protected anymore. 
So of course he doesn't want. He wants a guy in there he knows is never going to look inside that Pandora's box. That's Joe Biden. He might stumble over it. He might fall on it. He might kick it. But he's not going to open it. That's mutually assured destruction. They, he's not going to go after them because they could just turn around and go after him. They're all corrupt. That's kind of the problem, isn't it? <sighs> just a just a sad, disgusting group of human beings. Really, as we start off talking about heroes from D-Day and we end up talking about this crop of people who bring shame upon themselves, the family, their country, our species, really. Anyway, that is enough for today. I have to go and blow my nose. My voice held out, had some moments there, but uh, it held out. I've gotten, still gotten a bunch of emails. Hey, why is the show so short? The show was so short because I was on vacation, and the show was so short because I didn't have a voice yesterday. If you couldn't hear me having a voice yesterday, I'm like my voice sounds a little sexy today, ladies. You're welcome. But it's not as uh, sexy as yesterday. And hopefully I'll sound less sexy tomorrow because that means that there's less sinus drainage and there's nothing quite as sexy as talking about sinus drainage. Am I right, ladies? Yeah. How many of you just went sterile here in that? Lots of you probably. Anyway... So that is enough for today. I say I had one more clip I wanted to play, but it can it can wait or it's not really important. If it, if it waits, if it holds till tomorrow, it'll be important and then I'll play it then. But I appreciate you listening. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Always appreciate the support there. And hey, my birthday's coming up. So, you know, just... Give it a seven-day trial over at Patreon. You can't do the same thing over at, uh, at uh, what you call it, Locals. But uh, check it out. And uh, maybe I'll post some pictures or something from the trip to Michigan. Otherwise, have yourself a great, great day. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. 